Yahweh, how my adversaries have increased. Many are those who rise up against me. Many there are who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, Yahweh, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry to Yahweh with my voice and he answers me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid myself down and slept. I awakened, for Yahweh sustains me. I will not be afraid of tens of thousands of people who have set themselves against me on every side. Arise, Yahweh, save me, my God, for you have struck all of my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Psalm 3. Welcome back. I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. Do you ever feel like you're drowning, just trying to swim upstream, defending your life or your faith at every turn, even being attacked and mocked by family or those who claim to share your very faith? In this day and age when political stances and just prideful theories can echo louder than biblical principles and truths, we can look to King David for examples in prayer and worship. David is the author attributed to almost half of the Psalms that we find in the Bible. Some don't provide a timeline, but others offer very specific context as to what was going on in David's life around the time frame that he was inspired to pen a specific psalm. Maybe most famously, Psalm 51 was written after King David's sins against God. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba, schemed to shift suspicion off of him, and then he premeditated murder in an attempt to cover it up completely. Then he pens this psalm of repentance. So these psalms are emotional and they're theological. They are examples of how to biblically cry out with heartbreaking emotion, with a repentant heart, or just flat out in honest anger and frustration. But they all also come back to a point of trust in and worship of the one true God. Today we're going to dive into Psalm 3. It was written at a time when King David had to flee Jerusalem, had to abandon the throne of his kingdom, because nationalistic forces, they were attempting a coup. This insurrection, by the way, was being led by Absalom, who was one of David's own sons. We read David cry out to God as his very life is being threatened, as his kingdom is teetering, as his faith is being mocked, and as his spirit is weary. But we also read of a resounding faith, a firm faith from David, a faith that God will come through. David doesn't know exactly what that will look like, but he trusts God, and he knows that he is sustained through God alone. And this trust, it leads to worship. Adversity and distress leading to prayer and acknowledgement, which leads to praise and worship. Welcome to A Typical Song by David. We'll get into the specific situation that David is in here in just a moment. But sometimes you can learn a lot from the titles that different translations apply to a psalm or a passage. So the titles aren't actually in the biblical text themselves. They're not in the original manuscripts we have. 
so the translators, they add the titles and the headers to give us, the readers, some context. So what are some of the titles for this psalm by different translations? Well, the World English Bible titles it, Deliver Me, O God. The ESV, Save Me, O My God. The NASB, the NASB, and the KJV, they both title it something like Morning Prayer of Trust in God. And the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, titles it Confidence in Troubled Times. So again, these titles aren't specific biblical text, but collectively they do allow us to prepare ourselves for what God's word, the actual text of the psalm, is going to speak to us about. We can probably be on the lookout for a plea from David to God for deliverance from hardship, or perseverance through persecution. We should read this as a communication, a prayer from David toward God. And we can expect that even though things might not look great, David is going to look to God with confidence and trust. So deliverance, perseverance, prayerfulness, confidence, trust. We all experience hardships. We all need perseverance. We all need to remain prayerful. We all desire confidence and trust even more than we have now in God. So the topics of this psalm, they're all things that are absolutely applicable to us today. Now the specific background. The specific background of this psalm is that King David was king in Jerusalem but that his son Absalom, he hatched a power-grabbing conspiracy against David. You can read of the beginnings of this conspiracy in 2 Samuel chapter 15. But verse 12 of that chapter states that the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. So a lot of people started to go along with this. A messenger then comes to David to express that the hearts of a large number of the people, they're with Absalom. So David instructs his staff and his supporters to flee Jerusalem, and David himself flees also. He is literally in exile in his own land, running from an insurrection based on a conspiracy theory being propagated by his own son. The conflict is actually covered in chapters 15 through 18 of 2 Samuel, and it was a pretty major deal at the time. In the end, the insurrection was defeated. David is restored as king, and Absalom is killed which, by the way, is a death that puts King David in much distress. He didn't want or wish his son to die. So now we know the beginning and the end. But this psalm takes place in the middle, when Absalom's power is growing, when his armies are hunting David, and when the fate of the nation of Israel is seemingly hanging in the balance. There should be tension when we read that first verse. Yahweh, how my adversaries have increased. Many are those who rise up against me. Like, that situation should create emotion. And while none of us have probably ever been in that specific situation, we have all felt overwhelmed. We have all felt that we needed deliverance from God out of hardship and out of desperation. And that's where this psalm should create some reassurance. Other people experience those same situations, those same emotions that we feel. Other people, even biblical authors, have felt those same emotions, and they provide to us a template for how to react, how to reach out and communicate with our God in those desperate moments. That's what this psalm displays. This psalm underlines that David's situation was dire. 
He's, he was surrounded. He was on the verge of being overrun by all of the people who were against him, who did not agree with him, including members of his family. Verse 1 starts, Yahweh, how my adversaries have increased. They've grown. Many are those who rise up against me. Verse 6 then adds that despite tens of thousands of people who have set themselves against King David, that he would not be afraid. So the odds were not in his favor. The deck appeared stacked against him. But David knew two things. The first was that he knew he was drowning. He was struggling. He was just trying to stay afloat and alive during tremendously difficult times. The second was that this was not something that he was going to resolve on his own. He knew that only through God would David remain steadfast through it all. He recognized that any relief, any resolution, any restoration, it was only going to come at the hands of God Almighty. David was sure that his situation was too much for him to handle. And it might have been too big for him, but it wasn't too big for his God. His situation, his life, was completely under the sovereign control of God. And by the way, the people aren't just out to get David. I mean, yes, they are absolutely trying to hunt him down and hunt his supporters down. But it's not just that. They were also actively questioning God's sovereignty. Verse 2 says, Many there are who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. So I'm not sure if they're questioning God's existence, questioning God's power, questioning God's love for David, or just want to mock him. But they are definitely convinced that God will not come to David's side. So sometimes our faith, our trust, it's going to be mocked. People will claim that if God doesn't step in right away to prevent the bad, that he obviously doesn't care about us. But that's just not true, and David underlines that. Listen to verses 3 through 5 again. But you, Yahweh, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry to Yahweh with my voice, and he answers me out of his holy hill. I laid myself down and slept. I awakened, for Yahweh sustains me. Like this isn't the voice of a man who's overwhelmed and giving up because of it. It's the voice of a man leaning in and trusting God more through all of this experience. Stand fast in your faith. Be humble and willing to grow, but also know that there will be people, some of them professing to be Christians, who will mock you because of standing firm and holding true to biblical principles. It doesn't mean God has given up on you. It means that God is growing you. So how does all of this relate to us? How can this be applicable to you and me? How can our prayer lives and our worship routines be transformed by the truths that are revealed in this psalm and in other psalms by King David? Well, I think first of all, it should be a reminder to pray. Prayer can be for before meals and for bedtime, but it's not just for those times. When we need to cry out, we should, right then and at that moment. Not wait and hope that we remember to communicate with God as we doze off to sleep. Next, we should be honest about where we're at and what we're feeling. Like I'm married, and if there's one thing that my wife hates more than me not talking to her about something, it's me not being honest about that something. Honest communication is important in any relationship, and prayer is about relationship, our personal relationship with the God of the universe. Sometimes we might be feeling fear or worry or frustration or anger, and we should voice that. 
Let me be clear. Feeling those things can be sinful. It's not okay to be downright angry at God. But here's the kicker, and I think I got this from John Piper. While it might be a sin to feel anger or mistrust toward God, don't compound that sin by then lying to God about it, committing another sin by not telling him about it. So come open and honest and raw if that's where you're at. But third, come humbly. You might have raw emotions, but come humbly acknowledging those emotions. I mean, you might be wrong about what you think. I know it's a long shot. I know you might never, ever be wrong, but you just might be. So come humbly. And then acknowledge to God that those raw emotions, they aren't where you want to be. If you are angry and worried and you come to God with that, you should want to change. If you have no interest in actually changing how you feel, if you have no interest in God transforming you to a better place, then that's not a prayer. That's just a rant. David doesn't do this as much in this psalm specifically, but in some of David's psalms, he acknowledges that he doesn't want to end where he started. Sure, he wants his situation to improve, but David also wants his spirit to improve through prayer. We should take a page out of that. God, don't just improve the situations that are surrounding me. Step into my life too. Improve me. Grow me. Lead me to that place of trust and worship that David can come to. Another thing that David does in this psalm that we could probably better apply to our own prayer lives, at least I know that I could, is remembrance. I initially wanted this bullet to be trust, and absolutely David trusts God, as we should as well. But as I read and reread the psalm, the tactic that David uses to underline his trust that God's going to come through in the present and the future, it's all based on how God has come through for David in the past. In this psalm, David recognizes that God is the shield around David, that God is the one who lifts up David's head, that God is the one who answers and has answered David, that God is the one who allows David to awaken every morning, that God is the sustainer of life, and that God is David's source of salvation. All of those realizations are based off of past experiences with God. David remembers, and he prays through what God has done for him. Remembering what God has already accomplished for us, that can be a foundation for our trust. God has blessed us. God has brought us through some tough times. God is sustaining us in the midst of current struggles. God the Father gave his one and only Son on the cross as a ransom for our sins. We can trust God today because he has done everything to bring us to this point, to make a way for us to have the relationship with him that allows us to even pray to him. David remembers and he acknowledges this a lot, and I know that I could do better at acknowledging that too. Then lastly, David exercises praise and worship. His prayers bring in who God is. They celebrate God. Worship and praise are essential to a life of faith. It's what makes our relationship with God so much different than our relationships with anybody else. The closing question then kind of becomes a challenge to us. Do our prayers celebrate God, or are they merely about bettering ourselves? Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. 
Logistically, I'm moving from two episodes a week to one episode a week, at least for a little while, through the holidays and all the events going on with that. Next week, we're probably going to chat about repentance. We spent a lot of time in Philippians and Ecclesiastes talking about a reverential fear of the Lord and about living obediently to God. But what happens when faithful believers fall short of obedient living, as we all will? That's where this discussion of repentance, and exactly what repentance is, comes in. Until then, though, I love y'all.